association with the nation of Israel, and yet somehow they came to Israel to worship Jesus. It's amazing to me, and perhaps to you, that they would travel so far at such great expense to worship a little child. Doesn't that amaze you? (laughs) What can we learn from these wise men about worship? What do we still need to learn about worship? You know, you may have been a Christian for a long time, as I have been, and yet there's still more to learn, more to grow. What do you still need to learn about worship? What do I? The words come to worship come right out of the telling of this true story in Matthew 2. Matthew 2, 1 and 2 reads like this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These wise men came to worship the one whose star had suddenly appeared in the sky. A new king of the Jews had been born. And so they said to Herod, the current king, we have come to worship him. Isn't that why you've come today? We have come to worship him. The lessons on worship this month focus on the postures of worship. So you see several different things here. You see someone kneeling. You see hands being raised. You see a heart being opened. And you see gifts being presented. And that's really the postures of worship that we're going to be talking about this month. The wise men lifted their hands. They brought their gifts. They poured out their hearts and they bowed their knees. These four postures of our worship must be true and sincere. For Jesus said, true worshipers will worship the Father. How? In spirit and truth, right? John 4.23. So today we want to talk briefly about lifting our hands. The wise men lifted their hands, I believe, when they first saw the star. Can you imagine them out one night and they've been looking at the stars for a long time. They know all the stars that are in the heavens. And suddenly there's something different that they have never seen. And the first guy to notice it says, hey, look over there. Look right there. We've never seen that one before. What is that? And they started to figure out what that star might mean. And eventually they came to a conclusion that took them to Jerusalem. As they beheld the star, as they pointed it out to others, their hearts were stirred to worship. And they began to make the decision, we just can't stay here. If something like this has happened, we need to go. And so they made this long, arduous journey, perhaps taking several months, costing them thousands of dollars, to arrive at a place where they thought they would find this new king. Found out that he was a few miles away in Bethlehem. So they went there, and there they presented their gifts. And there they bowed their knees. There they poured out their hearts. And once again, they held out their hands to the child Jesus, and offered him gifts of devotion and praise. I want you to look at your hands for a minute this morning. Just go ahead. You don't have to worry about anybody else. Look at your hands. What do you see? What stories might your hands tell us about you and your life? If they could talk, what have they done? What activities have they been a part of? Have they done both good things and bad things? Yes. Yeah, all of us would have to admit that. Haven't our hands often been at the center of whatever's going on in our life? 
You know, it's hard almost to do almost anything without using your hands. You know, you can think about something, you can contemplate things, but as soon as you start action, your hands are almost always involved. So think about this, that lifting your hands to God, however you may do that, may be a very big deal indeed. Because these hands represent who you are. Our hands themselves can be an offering to God. And lifting our hands to God in worship can be very meaningful if it is done sincerely. Now, King David knew this. He was a man who knew how to worship God. In fact, what does the Bible say about him? It says he is a man after God's own heart. He knew how to worship God both in his inner man and in his outer being, you know, in his, his physical uh, action. Psalm 63, 1 through 4 says this, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Catch that last phrase. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Now, let's admit it. Lifting hands in church is uncomfortable for some of us, perhaps many of us. If we were raised not going to church, the whole idea of worship may seem a little bit uncomfortable. Like, what are you supposed to do? Am I doing this right? You're always constantly thinking, what is everybody else thinking about what I'm doing here? Because I don't know what I'm doing here. And if you were raised in church, you were raised with a culture. You were raised with conditioning. My conditioning was, you don't raise your hands in church, because if you do that, somebody might think you're Pentecostal, and we definitely don't want to be a Pentecostal. That was kind of the, the, the vantage point that my parents gave me, my church gave me. So nobody in my church ever raised their hands during worship, and so when I first started seeing that, I was at an Assembly of God church one Wednesday night with some other people, seeing a special speaker, and... Uh, the, the worship leader said, let's all raise our hands. Well, before that, he had had everybody join hands. So the people on either side of me raised their hands. Guess what? Where my hands went? Right up because I was already holding onto their hands. It wasn't an act of my will. It was what was done, being done to me. So there I am raising my hands in worship. First time in my life I think that had ever happened publicly, not privately. So this is a difficult thing. But to tell the truth, Jews and Christians have worshipped God by raising their hands from the earliest times. It was a natural, it was a heartfelt posture of their worship of Almighty God. Let's consider that. Now, there are two main things that hand-raising has always meant. Throughout man's history, lifting our hands side by side has meant two things to everyone, everywhere. What are those two things? First of all, surrender. <laughs> when people are at war with one another and one army defeats the other, the uh, survivors that, that weren't killed, throw down your weapon, lift up your hands. Act of surrender. If you're walking down the street one night in the city, someone sticks a gun in your face and says, stick them up. What do you do instinctively? You lift your hands. Okay, I surrender. You got a gun. I don't have a gun. What do you want to take? <laughs> Lifting our hands means surrender. And as we lift them to God, we are saying, I give up. You win. Second thing that raising hands always means is victory. 
When a runner runs in a race, he's the first person to cross the finish line. He raises his hands in triumph because he's won. He's so excited, he's defeated his opponents. When someone hits a home run, their whole team raises their hands in victory, don't they? Or when a running back or a receiver crosses the goal line, everybody, the coaches, the players, the fans up in the stands, everybody just raises their hands. They're so excited because they're celebrating victory. Good things have come. Surrender and victory. Don't you think it's appropriate maybe for us to raise hands when we are worshiping Almighty God? In worship, it may go totally against your grain. First of all, you may not want to draw attention to yourself. And second of all, you're not a demonstrative person anyhow. So ask yourself, am I a demonstrative person? Am I the person that shows their emotion? You wear your emotions on the sleeve. Everybody knows what you're feeling because you do it. Or am I the person who keeps it all bottled up inside somehow? Many of us are the kind of bottled up people, not demonstrative about our emotions. But just think about this. If you are a sports fan and you have ever showed your emotions when your favorite football team scores a touchdown or fumbles the ball, go ahead and admit it. You might just be a demonstrative person on occasion. If the occasion is right, if the emotion is right, then I can get very excited. I can come up off my couch and scream at my television because the emotion is there and my body joins that emotion. Then go ahead and ask yourself why you never get physically expressive when God moves in your life or your heart. When God speaks to you or answers your prayers or opens your eyes to something new and exciting, do you show it? If not, maybe you need to ask yourself why. Why wouldn't I show that? Why wouldn't I make that part of how I express myself? Perhaps God really wants to challenge you and me this morning about our worship and our postures of worship. Now, I'm not trying to force anyone to raise your hands for worship. You'll have to decide this for yourself, what you will do and when you will do it. But what I want you to think about is this. What is the sincerity and honesty and the real emotions of your worship? When you worship, are you focused more on what God thinks about your worship or about what other people think about your worship? You know, you're constantly wondering what somebody else thinks about you. Man, if you were to ever raise your hands, what conclusions might they draw? That's the wrong attitude. That's the wrong idea. We need to look at our hands again. And I want to ask you in a moment to raise your hands, if you will. But first, I want to ask everybody to close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Don't look around because now we're going to take out of the equation what anyone else may think or say or wonder. Close your eyes. And don't worry about anyone else around you. Then now imagine yourself. You could even stand if you want. But imagine yourself standing before God and raising your hands toward him like a small child raises his arms toward his father. Raise up your hands toward God. Still keeping your eyes closed. This is, this is your moment with God as a child before his father. Make this personal. Make this real. And don't worry about what anybody else is thinking because they can't even see what you're doing. This, 
This is between you and God. And I want you to know that God, like a good father, which he is, will not turn away when his children draw near to him. I can just imagine, can't you, the love of our Heavenly Father coming toward us right now. There is no loving father on earth who would reject the outstretched hands of his child. And our Heavenly Father loves it when we lift our hearts and our hands in worship toward him. In fact, James 4.8 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And as we lift our hearts and our hands in worship, let us say to God something like this. You know, Lord, I, I lift not just my hands, but my entire life to you, O oh God. It's not just these, these hands that I'm lifting to you, but all that I am. I surrender to you, God. I embrace the victory that Jesus has won for me. Thank you, God. Praise you, God. Amen. You can take your hands down. Open your eyes. This is the first posture of worship that I want you to meditate on this week. I told you the sermon would be brief. That's all I'm going to share. But I want you to take it with you. I want you to think about it. Whether what you express physically represents your emotions, good or bad. And if there is no expression, what is that saying about your emotion? Now, communion is a special opportunity we have each week to draw near to God as we remember Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. The wafer of bread that we eat reminds us of his body. The juice that we drink reminds us of his blood. We invite you now to share with us in the Lord's Supper. We invite you to examine your heart to see what's inside. Admit it to God if you've done wrong. Admit it if you've ignored God or tried to keep Him in a distance and keep Him out of your life. Admit that you've created separation there between you and God, but now your desire is to draw near. This is what worship does. Draw you near, me near to God. Once again, in this moment of communion, draw near to God as we pray and as we commune with him now. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we have this moment in which to draw near to you again. We know that we find peace when we come before you. We know that we'll find acceptance and love and grace, which you've already uh, shown us so brilliantly, so extravagantly in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And now we come into your presence. We draw near to you, admitting where we have, have slipped away or forgotten you or ignored you, but also, Lord, rejoicing the relationship that you've given us through Christ. But you've already given us victory in Christ, even in spite of us. And now, we have surrendered. And now, Lord, we lift up our hearts and maybe even our hands to you to worship you, to thank you, to praise you, and to remember what Jesus has done and the life he has given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.